You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, we are in week four of a series called Friending. And uh, someone pointed out today, I wanted to know why the logo for this um, series was two people arm wrestling instead of shaking hands. Well, I don't know what the answer for that is other than if you've had a real friend, you probably know what that means, right? It's like, I love you, but sometimes you're going down, right? It's just, it's kind of how it is. But we're talking about friending. We're talking about the importance of relationships in our lives. And I know sometimes this can be something that's difficult. And we talked about really when we're younger, it seems a lot easier to have friends. And maybe even it's easier to see that the influence that friends can have on us. You know this is true if you have kids because kids pick up and they learn everything. Matter of fact, many of the times when our kids display a new attitude or new behavior that we don't find so wonderful, one of the first questions we ask them is, where did you learn that? And you're assuming it's one of their friends, but then it's just like, then they're like, well, I heard dad say that. And you're like, oh, shoot, right? And then maybe that's just me. I don't know. Um, but it's important that we understand that relationships are really important and friendships are really important. Matter of fact, today, this message was the hardest one to prepare, this last part. And, and honestly, there's just this really big tension when it comes to friendships and our expectations and, and the things that we've got to do in redefining our friendships because we come to a relationship with Jesus, something that we want to help people understand the, the importance of those friendships and the importance of that relationship. But we've got to have boundaries in relationships because the people that we come around, the people that influence us really have a big impact on us. Matter of fact, this is the thing that we've been saying every single week was, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. What does that mean? That with some level of degree of accuracy that we can pretty much have an idea of what your trajectory is going to look like, what your future is going to look like based around the people that you do life with the people that are influencing you, the people who are guiding your life, the people who are speaking into you, who are encouraging you. And and that doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? It's not like, show me your friends and I'm going to see what a slob you're going to be in the future. No. I mean, that might be the case if your friends are a bunch of slobs. But I mean, if you have friends that are trying to do the right thing, who are trying to be a good parent or be a good spouse or are working hard or whatever it is, that that can also influence you in a positive way. So it's not just in a negative way. It's in a positive way. It says this in Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. The Bible reminds us over and over and over again how important, how key, how critical the relationships are in our life and how it can influence us in a good way or it can influence us in a negative way. And that's where this tension really comes from that we talk about this because I don't know about you, when I got in trouble, I have rarely got in trouble alone. You may have heard the statement before that misery loves company. Well, I think trouble loves company as well, right? Because there's just something about, it. you might get in trouble by yourself once in a while, but man, it's just something about being around those group of friends, being influenced. And I know some of you are thinking, well, Brian, not you, right? I mean, you were just like the perfect kid, the perfect teen, like you didn't cause any problem. No, I mean, I had I had some friends that sometimes we would do some things and they were questionable. And I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to, to share this with you today because, you know, it's just, you know, I don't want you to, to think any less of me. But when I was a a teenager, something that uh, I started doing with a group of friends is that we'd be out driving. We had our license at this time. We'd be driving in our cars. And somehow, I don't even know how this started, it became this really funny thing that anytime we would see like parking cones, we would steal them. 
And like, it didn't matter if they were in a parking lot, if they were on the road, it just became a thing. Now, I never did this when I was by myself. It's not like I'd be driving down the road and be like, oh, sweet, a cone, pull over, get out. Pop That'd be kind of weird, right? Some of you are like, this story is already weird, Brian. It doesn't matter if you're by yourself. But we would, we would, someone would like slow down the car. We wouldn't even stop. We just open the door. No one needed to say anything at some point. It's just, we just got so used to it. Just open the door, throw the cone. And I don't know what we planned on doing with them. But then somehow it like morphed into this, well, let's see what other stuff we can get, right? And so any kind of like construction, like barrels, cones, you know, sawhorses. I kid you not, this is where I kind of like escalated for me. And I'm like, okay, enough is enough. Um, by our house, they were doing this construction project and they put these ginormous orange signs. They were probably 20 feet tall at least, really big. And on the top of them, they had these really cool orange flashing lights. You know what I'm talking about? Like the blink to get people's attention. And so we're driving past it and my friend's like, pull over. I'm like, we can't get that in the car. We need like a semi for that thing. He's like, just pull over. I'm like, all right. So we pull over and we're standing there, get out. He starts climbing up the back of the sign in the middle of the night, gets all the way to the top of it, somehow with no tools, detaches the, the orange light with the wire and the battery and everything. And I'm like, this is insane. He gets in the car, he brings it in. We don't know how to shut it off. So we're trying to drive down the road. It's like, blink, right? It's like so bright in the car. I can't imagine driving past a cop at that point, trying to explain what was like happening, why we have this giant yellow beacon inside of our car, but it was just something that we did, and we, we always did it together. I don't know what we planned on doing. Actually, I don't even know what ever happened to any of that stuff, but when we got in trouble, some of you were like, man, Brian, you had a wild teenage life, right? Come on, someone. That was, that was crazy. I'm just thinking the statute of limitations have passed on that, and I can't be incriminated for that, but we rarely get in trouble alone. And now that might seem like a silly example, but we've all done things where it just seems like you get around the right people. And, and when we're a teen, it's easy to see. But when we're adults, the same thing is very much true, that we really get in trouble when we're with other people. Matter of fact, it says this in Proverbs 12, 26, some wisdom for us to live by. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. That we've got to choose our friends carefully. That we've got to understand that the people that we surround ourselves, they influence us. We said this uh, in the series that sometimes we just make friends by chance, and often that's how it happens, right? It's people that you live with on your street, people that you know at the gym, your co-workers, people you go to school with, right? We make friends mostly by chance, but if we want to deepen them, it becomes a choice. If we want to go deeper in those friendships and those relationships, we've got to deepen them by choice. And here's kind of the idea for today's message and something that really, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this one down or take a picture of the screen. It's impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. It's impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. See, it doesn't matter how much you intend to do something right or you're trying to follow after God or you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying not to steal parking cones, but every time you drive by them, your friends are like trying to take them, right? You're trying to do the right thing and you can't do that unless you have the right friends around you. And we've talked about this in the series over and over again, but it's impossible to live the right life unless we surround ourselves with the right friends. If you've got the wrong friends, you're probably going to end up in the wrong place. You're not going to end up where it is that you intended to go. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15.33 really spells it out for us and simply says this, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, why does it tell us don't be misled? Why don't they just simply just say, hey, bad company corrupts good character? Why does, it, why does it put the whole don't be misled? Because we are easily misled. 
that the author here had to remind us that we are easily misled by other people. Even if it's not someone who's trying to go out and do like terrible things, right? We can be misled. We can be misguided. That even if we're trying to do the right thing, that bad company can corrupt our good characters. We're trying to make an effort. And I don't know about you. I don't need other people to help me do the wrong thing, right? I kind of do that on my own. I need some people who are going to come around me. And help me be better. And see, here's where this tension comes from in the message this week. And here, here's why this is so difficult. Because we hear this and we're like, okay, so I've got to make sure that I'm careful with the people I surround myself with. But then this tension comes from, well, doesn't God want us to reach out to other people who, who maybe aren't living the greatest life, who may need a little bit of help, maybe need a friend who will be an encouragement and help them out? How do we deal with that? Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus was a friend of sinners. That Jesus, the Son of God, that he was a friend of sinners, that he would actually befriend people who were living opposite of the way that God wanted them to live. He was their friend. And then at the same time, the Bible tells us this, that we can't be misled because bad company will corrupt good character. And at the same time, the Bible say, hey, don't be unequally yoked, saying basically don't come alongside someone and get in a partnership with someone who is not trying to follow after God. We've got to be careful with that. But then at the same time, the Bible says, you are the light of the world. You have to go out into the dark and point people towards Jesus, show people who God is and, and love others. And so there's this tension that comes into this place where the Bible's like, go make disciples. But in the same breath says, hey, you got to be really careful because you don't want to be led astray by people who are not doing the right thing. So there's this tension that we've kind of got to feel out. We've kind of got to live in. And this is really important in our Christian faith. This is something that we can't ignore because it's, it's not just simply about protecting ourselves and, and living away from everyone, that we've got to reach out into the world and reach people who are for Jesus, who are following after him. But we've got to reach out to those who have yet to encounter and experience him. There's this tension that we've got to live in. And I don't know if you've ever felt that or thought about that before, but here's what I know to be true. The example that we follow all the time is we want to live like Jesus. It's kind of the Sunday school answer, right? When you're teaching kids and you're teaching them Sunday school, you're teaching about Jesus, and, you're, you know, and you ask them, like, what's the answer? The answer is always Jesus, right? And this is true in this instance, that we can look to Jesus as an example of how he lived his life and how he interacted with people. And here's what I know to be true about Jesus, is that Jesus loved everyone equally. He loved everyone equally, but he didn't treat everyone equally equally. You're like, whoa, what does that mean? Well, he loved everyone the same. He didn't love anyone anymore. He didn't love them any less. He loved them all of the same, but he didn't treat everyone the same. Well, how does it, we know that? What does that look like? See, there were so many people that wanted a piece of Jesus. I mean, if you show up and you start healing people, you start doing miracles. I mean, you hey, party trick turning water into wine. People are going to get your number and start texting you, right? Jesus, you need to come to this party. It's going to be lit, right? You just got to get over here. We don't even know what he's going to turn it into this week. It's going to be amazing right? Everyone wanted a piece of Jesus. But even though everyone wanted a piece of him and wanted to be up close to him, he chose 12 people, his disciples, his closest followers that he did life with. He did life up and close and personal with them. And of those 12, he had three that he was actually closer with than the other nine. Does that mean he loved the other nine less? No, but he treated them differently. Why? Because he had a closer friendship and relationship with those other three. And not only that, while everyone is vying for his attention, while everyone's wanting to show up at his party, while everyone's trying to get healed and have him come and talk, what does he do? He actually leaves the crowds. He walks away from everyone and at times just withdraws completely to go spend time in prayer. 
That doesn't mean that he didn't love them. He just had to have some boundaries in his own life. And if Jesus had boundaries in his life, it's probably something that we need for ourselves. Matter of fact, you know the people, he says, Jesus was a friend of sinners. You know the people who he kept most at distance, most at arm's length? It was the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders at the time. And they seemed to have all the answers. They knew everything about God. They knew how to live a life that pleased him. But they cared more about that than they cared about people and really even truly loved God. It was all about the appearance. They were just more concerned what everyone thought about them. They didn't really care if they were really serving God. They were just interested in everyone thought that they were serving God. Well, look how special they are. Look how awesome. And those were the people that Jesus actually kept at a distance. And they were like, they needed a friend. And Jesus was like, man, you're just a bunch of fake hypocrites. I'm out of here, right? Let's find a party where I can turn some water into booze. Let's do this thing, right? And so when we hear this and we understand that, yeah, we've got to be careful with the people that we surround ourselves. And you hear a message like this, you're like, all right, I get it. I get this series. Like, like I shouldn't have friends that are like knocking off banks, right? Probably not a good influence on me. You know, I probably shouldn't, you know, if I've got any friends that are like in the organized crime life, I probably should, you know, have some boundaries and distance myself from those people. Matter of fact, you know, if you've got a friend that's like making meth and selling it to fifth graders, like, you know, probably not the best influence in your life, right? We, we can see those examples, those extreme things like, I get it. Like, there should be some boundaries. I shouldn't let those people influence me in the decisions that I'm making. But sometimes it's a little more subtle, the influence that people have on us, the negative impact, the negative influence. Like, if you are around people who are constantly negative, I mean, there is just, it does, it's like the sun is shining, it's 72 degrees out, and they will find something to be negative about. Well, you know, yeah, it is nice, but... Psh, and they're just negative. It just goes negative instantly. When you're constantly around people who are negative all the time, what happens? And I experienced this myself. You become negative, right? If you're around people who are critical all of the time, they're just criticizing everyone and everything. It's like no one can do any good in the world. We're just going to criticize them. You know, it's just like they just open up an orphanage. They just save thousands of life. And like, oh, man, what a dirtbag. It's like, what are you talking about? Because we're always looking for some angle to criticize people. And when we get around people who are critical, what happens? We always become critical. And so when we look at this, we begin to understand what boundaries look like. It's not just about people who are doing the big, you know, outward sinning and just doing really destructive, damaging things. Sometimes it's the subtle influences that we've got to be careful of. And so as we talk about this and we talk about boundaries, there's two things that I want to share with you today. Two things I won't let my friends do. Are you guys ready for this? Two things. I won't let my friends do. I should say like the first one is like, you know, doing something like going to a terrible fast food restaurant, but that's not what I'm talking about. Two things I won't let my friends do because everyone's got different. I was like talking up Wendy's to someone this week, like that four for four. And I mean, we talk about critical people in my life and they were just, they just shot it down. Talk about how terrible the four for four was and how they feel sick every time they go to Wendy's and that the square burgers just turn them off. And I'm not kidding after all this. And he's like, yeah, and then I'm going to McDonald's and get a double cheeseburger. I'm like, what? Like, you're going to talk trash on Wendy's and then go eat a double cheeseburger? Like, who are you? <laughs> anyway, two things I won't let my friends do. Talk trash on the four for four. No, the first one is distract me from God's plan. I won't let my friends distract me from God's plan. This is a really big deal. Because this is something that, in that verse that said, don't be misled. And something happens that many times our friends, even if they have good intentions, they may be distracting us from the plan that God has for our life. 
We see this in the story of Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus, one of his closest friends was a guy named Peter. And Peter did all kinds of amazing things. He grew to know Jesus and loved him. But see, here's what happened. There were two different plans that were going on. See, the people who were following after Jesus, they thought he came to literally become the king, like the physical king, like he was going to rule here on earth. Like he was going to be the king. He was going to be the man. He was going to have the power. He was going to be large and in charge. And so that was the plan that they had for him. Like he has come to save the day. He's going to save our world. He's going to be the king. It's going to be amazing. And then Jesus sits them all down. He's like, hey, guys, that's, that's a really great plan, but that's not God's plan for my life. Matter of fact, guys, I just, I just want to let you know this, that um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be put to death. They're going to kill me. They're, they're going to crucify me. I'm going to, I'm going to die a brutal death, be beat, be whipped, be crucified. And as, he, as he's sharing him this, sharing this is what God's plan is for my life. Peter's like, oh, no, 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 Jesus. That's really nice. But, you know, if you're going to be king, you kind of need to be alive. And so we need you to be alive. And so that's great that this, we feel God wants from you. But if you're going to be king, we need you here. You can't leave. We can't do this thing without you. And it was, it was out of a good intention that he didn't. Of course, you don't want your friend. If your friend said you're telling you, I'm about to be dead, and I'm going to be crucified. No one's be like, oh, that sounds good. Go for that, yeah. No, he's like, being a good friend. What, what are you saying, Jesus? That can't be what God wants for you. And I love Jesus' response. He just goes savage on him. Jesus turns to him in Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Always a really good thing for your friends there, right? We're, we're real close. It's just a nickname we have for each other, right? Hey, Satan, you get out of here. No, he, tells, he calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And he continues, he says, you are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, even Jesus in his own life, in his own relationships, he had to have boundaries with his closest friends. He's like, you are stumbling block. Don't you think this is hard for me? It's not like I'm like, hooray, I get to go die on the cross. This was agonizing for him. And he didn't need a friend who was pulling him from the plan of God that he has life. He needed someone encouraging him. I don't recommend really throwing this around and calling people Satan, you know, especially like your mother-in-law. Don't do it. That's a mean marriage conference. We're just getting that right now. If you're not married, not a good idea, right? And not your spouse either. That's not like a pet name that you call each other, right? Although growing up, my, um, one of my aunts told me that their neighbor had a dog named Satan, which was really awkward when they would call it, like going out at night to call the dog in, Satan, Satan, come in. It's a true story. I don't know who names their dog Satan, but apparently Jesus calls his friends that, so if sounds good for your dog, go for it. Uh, and so something that's really important for us to understand is that we can't allow people to distract us from God's plan. Matter of fact, it's really important that we don't have friends that talk us out of going to church, right? These other friends like mean well. Like, well, didn't you go to church like last month? Then you go like for Easter. You're good for the year, right? You're covered, right? You want to go to church? Why are you trying to go to church? Let's go do this, right? We, we don't. It's already hard enough. You married? You got kids? It is almost impossible to get to church anyway. We don't need friends discouraging us from something that's already a challenge for us to do. Matter of fact, sometimes we can get around people and have friends that are really materialistic. And having things, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just the thing when things have us and we care more about stuff than we care about people. And we can have friends that can influence in us that way that we care more about getting stuff and acquiring things than we have a heart for other people. And the same thing is true. We could go on and on. We could have friends that influence to be more about popularity and what people think about us in the right fashion and the right thing and the latest gadget or whatever instead of really being focused on the things that are important. And the same thing is true, and I know I could step on some toes here because we live in a sports town, but we could even have some friends that influence us that make us think that sports is the most important thing in our life or, or that our self and focusing on the things that we want are the most important. And in fact, they distract us from the plans that God has for our life. 
Instead of being focused on the things of God, we become focused on the things of men. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's nothing wrong with sports. nothing wrong with fashion. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. It's just when it takes the place of God and we're focused, just like Peter's like, I hear you, Jesus, that that's God's plan for you, but man, that just doesn't seem right. Don't you want to be here with us? That his heart was not and his mind were not on the things that God wanted for Jesus. Let's just be real. Peter was like, this is going to affect me. I need you to be king because I need to be upside you, beside you when you were ruling in power. It's going to be really good for me, right? Because I'm Jesus' friend. He wasn't concerned about God's plan. He was concerned about what he could get from it. And I've seen this over and over and over. As I've pastored now for 15 years, I have seen people make decisions for Christ. I've seen people being excited about coming to church, getting involved, starting serving. And people have the greatest intentions that they're going to follow after God. And they really, truly mean it in their hearts that they really want to follow after God. But then something begins to happen that instead of that desire taking over to follow God, they get some friends around them who are more concerned with the things of men than they are with God. And it is distracts them from that path. And I've seen it so many times where it's almost become painful. And I've experienced this in my own life. And matter of fact, we were living in Memphis for a few years and the different parts of the country are different, right? And we're known for different things. Pittsburgh, we're known for like pierogies in sports, right? That's, that's like what we do. We're a city of champions and delicious food. That's just what we do. Bridges, tunnels, hills, different parts of the country, different things. Well, we were living in the South. We were living in Memphis, Tennessee, and they're known for barbecue, right? And they're also part of the Bible Belt. And what is the Bible Belt? Well, this is like a concentration where there's a lot of churched people. There are a lot of big churches, like thousands of people. There's a ton of them. And so a lot of people who go to church. And so when we move there, we're like, first time, because Pittsburgh's a little bit different, Northeast, you know, a little bit different. Not as many people go to church. It's not as big of a cultural thing. So when we went there, it was just a different culture. Like everyone goes to church. Like we lived in, I lived in Tulsa at one point and a friend of mine was trying to witness to someone at the cashier at Walmart telling him about Jesus and the cashier cut him off and corrected him. No, this is how you're supposed to tell me about Jesus because I mean, just that's, it's just the culture. It's just different. And so when we lived in Memphis and we got around people and it was a really church culture, we met some people who kind of explained something to us. They're like, let, let, me, let me explain something to you, right? Let me, let me tell you how this works. See, we have our church friends but then we have our unchurched friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I mean, we have the church friends that we go to with church on Sunday, but then we've got those other friends, you know, the ones we're really close with that we hang out and do things because here's what I know to be true. When you're with a group of friends and you're sinning, it is fun. And if it is not fun when you are sinning, you are doing it wrong because sin is absolutely fun for a season. It is. It's enjoyable. I'm not going to sit up here and lie and be like, you're not going to enjoy it. You're going to love it. But here's the problem with sin, that it always, always, always leads to destruction. That there will always become a time where you have to pay the price for it. The Bible makes so clear that it's going to lead to destruction. It's going to mess you up, right? It's, gonna, it, it's like a cruel trick. At the end of the day, we think that it was all about that pleasure, that moment, that enjoyment. Then it comes time to pay the price for it. And so we can't just have our church friends who are trying to follow after Jesus and then live a life of duality where we have our friends that we actually go sin with and, and hang out. But it's so easy to do this. And we've got to understand is that we could love people. We can care about them. And yeah, you could have friends that go to church and you can have friends that don't go to church. But you've got to say, you know, what? I love you, but I'm not going down with you. I love you, I care about you, I've got your back, but I am not going to go down with you. And here's what we've got to understand with this and why this is so important, is that when we try to follow God and we have these boundaries in place, we can't have people that are trying to distract us from the plan of God. And the second part is that we can't have friends that are continually tempting us to sin. 
We can't have people that are continually tempting us to, instead of follow after God, follow after our own desires, our own thing. We talked about another guy. His name is Joseph. Now, Joseph, this is not Joseph like Jesus' dad, Joseph. This is Joseph of the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Maybe you remember him. Um, Joseph was, like, really favored by his dad. His brothers hated his guts, which is basically how you know the Bible is true because it just tells it how it is, right? And they're like, we hate our brother. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're, write that down. And they didn't like their brother. And this is how much they didn't like their brother and how much his dad loved him. They sell him into slavery. First of all, they were going to kill him, which is really great, right? That, you know your family's got your back. And you just you're like, you think your, bio, your family's messed up? Huh. Does anyone try to like take you out in the field and kill you? Maybe they have. I don't know. We'll get in there in another small group, small groups. Talk about that there. Uh, <laughs> they try to kill him. And one brother steps up and they're like, hey, let's not kill him. Let's sell him instead. And then we, you know, we'll have the money. I mean, come on. This is like family of the year award, right? That's what they do. They sell him. They sell their brother into slavery and ship him off. And then they come home. They fake his murder, dip his coat in goat's blood, take it to the dad, weeping, crying, get an Oscar for it. Oh, he died. Dad's like torn. How could you just watch your dad like that? So savage, just so messed up. And so he goes into slavery. And then he goes to this place where he's in Potiphar's house. Now, Potiphar is someone who is really, he's like high up. He's got some authority, got a lot of stuff. He becomes a servant in his house. And everything that he puts Joseph to, it begins to flourish, just begins to multiply, begins to grow. Everything that he touches is blessed. And so eventually he just puts him over all of it. He's like, you know what? You're just gonna be in charge of everything. And if you know some of Joseph's story, eventually he goes on that he becomes this same thing in Egypt, that he's like second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt and does some amazing things. But before then, he's in Potiphar's house. Now here's where the problem happens, is that he's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife kind of has eyes for Joseph. Joseph was apparently a good looking dude, probably fit, probably strong, right? He's just, you know, rugged man. And so Potiphar's out traveling all the time. Potiphar's wife's feeling a little lonely, feeling a little sad. And then she sees Joseph coming along and she's like, hmm, we give me a piece of that, right? That's what she's thinking, looking at Joseph. That's in the message translation, what it says. But here you can see <laughs> what it says in Genesis 39. It says Potiphar's wife, she caught him, caught Joseph by his cloak and said, Let's Netflix and chill. She said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. That she is trying to seduce him. And if you're in that moment, Potiphar's gone, right? Master of the house is gone. He trusts me. I could probably get away with this. This is probably really fun. This will be amazing. But instead, what does he do? He literally runs out of the house and leaves his clothes there. He's not sticking around to find out what happens next. And you think he'd be rewarded for all of that. And he actually doesn't because Potiphar's like, wife totally lies on him. Look what your servant tried to do. Here's his robe. He undressed in front of me. He tried to do something. And Potiphar's like, what? And he goes to prison. But see, what happens is we have friends. We don't, I don't know about you. I don't need anyone to help me to sin. I seem to be very capable of that in my own strength, right? I, I don't need someone else to help me along. And so we've got to have boundaries that we can't have friends in our life that are continually tempting us to sin. And so when it comes to that, it's not even the big ones, right? It's not the big, like, yeah, we get it, the big terrible things that people do. But have you thought about gossip? Are we having people who are constantly tempting us to gossip and, and talk about other people? How do you know if something's gossip? Well, if it's not about me and it's not about you, we probably have no business talking about it, right? You know, we used to teach this to teenagers and you're like one of the best ways, this is probably like the most savage thing ever. And I can't believe we taught teenagers this. You know, the best ways to stop gossip is like if you're in a room, you're at a gathering, you're at someone's house, whatever, and someone like starts gossiping to you about someone and they're there, you know how you stop it? Hey, hey, come over here, Johnny. They were just about to tell me something about 
about you, right? Come, and that's what we would tell people. That stops gossip really quick because then he's like, oh, well, shoot, right? And so we get around people when we gossip. And the same thing is true. Ladies, we can't always be around other women who are trash-talking men trash talking their husbands or talking about how terrible men are no good for nothing amount to nothing only want one thing and they're terrible and they're awful right we can't be surrounding ourselves and, and men's the same thing is true we can't constantly be surrounding ourselves with men who demean women who look at them as something to be obtained and something just whoo look at that one oh come on girl yeah come on you know you, it just can't you can't be around someone who doesn't value and have women in a high position because it will automatically, it will tempt us to sin. The same thing is true with addictions, that we get around people and we get around substance abuse or, or partying or people who are constantly tempting us and putting us in a position that if we know we struggle with a vice, the way that I always like to say it, if you had a problem with jelly donuts, you don't need someone showing up to your house with jelly donuts, right? It's like if, you, if you've got an issue with something, we don't need friends to help us out in that department. We're already very capable of driving ourselves to Dunkin' Donuts very much, thank you, and getting our own jelly donut. We don't need someone showing us up, encouraging us in our weaknesses. We can't constantly be around people who are tempting us to sin. I love you, I care about you, but I can't go down with you. And so one thing as we talk about two things that we can't allow our friends to do, there's one thing that I won't stop doing, and it's this. I won't stop loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. Jesus was the master of this. Matter of fact, people used to get really upset with Jesus because he was the son of God, right? Doing all these miracles, talking about how wonderful God is, all these ways we can follow God. And then he would come around people who were broken, people who were obviously living in sin, who were sleeping around, had, had multiple husbands, who were just, do, just living really difficult, hard lives. And he would get around them and he would befriend them. And matter of fact, he got him in trouble because people were like, whoa, well, aren't you God? Shouldn't you, you, have no, you shouldn't have anything to do with them. No, don't you know what they've done? Everyone in the village knows who that person is. You shouldn't be associating with them. Why? Because Jesus was a friend of sinners and he loved everybody unconditionally. And that's good news for you and me because I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his friendship, but he has chosen to love me anyway. And because he has loved me, I will choose to love others with the unconditional love that he happened, that he had for me. Here's the worst thing that could happen. And this is why this is a tension. The worst thing that we could happen, that we could do as Christ followers, that we could do as Treeline Church, is simply cut everyone off and become religious snobs. And just say, oh, you don't know what they did. Oh, they're just terrible. And oh, we can't be around them. Right? Yeah, you've got to have boundaries, but we still have to love people. We're not too good for them. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't unfriend sinners. He didn't unfriend them. He loved them. Right? He might have unfollowed a couple of them on his Facebook feed because every once in a while he just got to do that, right? He had boundaries, but he didn't stop loving them. He didn't unfriend them. He still wanted to be around them. Matter of fact, he just simply distanced himself from the hypocrites. And this is where we are as a church, that we won't lose our hearts for people. Matter of fact, that's where the whole name Treeline Church came from. You know, a tree line in nature is a tree line is where trees just stop growing. The Arctic Circle, the trees can't grow any part further north than that because the climate's not conducive. On a mountaintop, the trees can only grow so far up the side of the mountain because they just can't grow past a certain altitude. There's no life that happens there anymore. And so for us as a church, we wanted to be on the edge of that tree line saying, yeah, we want to be a church that's in the growth where people experience life, where they're coming to meet Jesus, but we want to be so far removed. We don't want to be huddled in the middle of the forest around the campfire 
singing kumbaya, my Lord, let everyone burn. No, we're not just simply concerned about ourselves. We want to be positioned on the edge of that tree line, reaching out to people who have yet to accept Christ, who have come to know who God is, that God loves them and has a plan for them. And we can't do that if we're just cutting everyone else off and living a life that we're just forget everyone else. It's just us four and no more, our holy huddle. Know that there are so many people who have yet to experience God, that we've got to love people unconditionally. The band's going to come up as we wrap this up today. And something that I, I want to share is the importance that we do this, that we live in this tension that we do this as individuals, that we've got to know that the people we surround ourselves with, yes, they make an impact on us, and we've got to be careful, like the Scripture tells us, on who we choose to be our friends. But at the same time, we've got to love unconditionally. I have seen when people love others unconditionally. Matter of fact, before we came here to plant tree line, you might know some of our story. It was a, a student pastor um, for 10 years at the last church we were at, and we had a lot of teenagers that, that showed up. And, and I, I want to let you know, loving people who are messy is really hard. And matter of fact, we experienced a little bit of the heat that Jesus got because we had some teens that were showing up that weren't so great, right? Really had some outward struggles. And matter of fact, here's the great thing about teenagers a lot of times is they're not going to hide it. They're not like showing up to church and like trying to have the appearances. They're like running around the church cussing, throwing things. They're smoking, bringing pot with them to church, trying to spy on the girls over the ceiling in the bathroom. Yeah, that's a true story. I could just like light up and tell you story after story after story. But we chose to love these teenagers unconditionally. And then something amazing began to happen. As everyone caught on with this, the other adult leaders that served, the other, the other teenagers who caught on to this began to love others, that we'd have teens show up in the worst condition with broken homes, no chance for a future, who were very unlovable. Matter of fact, some of them smelled, right? It was like, oh, I don't even want to be around you. But we chose to love them and love them unconditionally. And something amazing began to happen in that community of people because we saw teenagers' lives completely turned around. We saw families open up their homes and take in teens in their house as one of their family. We saw people who were so far from God, who were strung out on substance abuse, who were living a hard life, who were heading towards total destruction, but because a community of faith chose to come around them and love them unconditionally, it totally changed the trajectory of their future. Why? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. See, friends, it's so important that we love others unconditionally, and we have an opportunity as Treeline Church to be this, to do this. Yes, we've got to have those boundaries, but we've got to love others unconditionally. John 13, 34 says it this way. This is Jesus. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. See, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It wasn't like, here's the suggestion I give you. If you're feeling like it, if they're kind of lovable, if they don't stink, yeah, go ahead and love them. No, this is a command. Well, God, what if they're a mess? What if they're living in sin? What if they're just terrible? What if they're mean? What if they're critical? What if they're just, ah, and he's like, just love them. Love them no matter what. And here's what he says in verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If what? If you love one another. 
Not if you go to church enough, not if you have enough scripture memorized, not if you have all the answers for every problem going wrong in the world and be able to give a theological dissertation for everything that's going wrong and why is this this way? No, simply by your love for one another. This is how they will know that we are Jesus's followers. Friends, this is how we are gonna see our community. This is how we're gonna see our schools, how we're gonna see our city changed and reached for Jesus by loving one another. It's so important that we live in that tension. Yes, we've got to have boundaries. Jesus loved everyone equally, but he didn't treat everyone equally. And we've got to take some lessons there. We can't allow people to distract us from the plan of God that he has for our life. And we also can't allow people to tempt us, to continually tempt us to sin, but we cannot stop loving people unconditionally. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you God, I thank you that even in the midst of this message and the difficulty of having to navigate this tension, God, that we were reminded, Lord, in this passage that you loved us first. And because you chose to love us, we can love others. And God, we didn't deserve your love. And God, I know others don't deserve our love. But God, because you gave us and you showed us and you were teaching us what it means to love unconditionally, God, that we can love others. God, I pray today for those who are in relationships, who are in friendships that need some redefining, who maybe have some people who are leading them or pushing the right path. And even if it's not something that's malicious, even if they're not trying to wound someone or point them towards destruction, be like laughing evilly in the backwards and trying to destroy their life, but it's just those subtle things, just like Peter, when his mind was on the things of men instead of the things of God. Lord, if we're simply trying to follow after you, God, we might have to have some boundaries. God, if we're trying to follow after you and serve you, if we're trying to be a good spouse or a husband or a wife or a parent, if we're trying to work hard, if we're trying to achieve things, if we're trying to have good priorities and, and healthy relationships, God, we got to surround ourselves with people in our inner circle who are also trying to do that. God, I pray that you would give people the courage, the strength, and the wisdom, Lord, to not in some self-righteous rage just cut people off. Sorry, Pastor Brian says I got to cut you off. You're a good, bad influence. No, but having some boundaries in place, Lord. God, give us the bravery to do that. Give us the courage and help us to love others unconditionally. Tell you where your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I just want to give you the opportunity that if you have never experienced the friendship that comes through Jesus, as it says that he was a friend of sinners, that Jesus chose to give his life for you. They chose to lay down his life unconditionally so that you could have relationship with him. And see, he's not gonna force that friendship on you. You have to choose it. And so if you're here today and you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus and you wanna surrender your life to him, we wanna give you the opportunity to do that today. Or maybe you're here and at some point you said that prayer, you were following after God, but you just need to make that renewed commitment to following after him. Maybe you had the bad influences. Maybe some people led you astray. Maybe it's some poor choices you made on your own. Maybe something painful happened and you couldn't reconcile how a good God would allow something so painful to happen to you or someone you cared about. Friends, I don't know what the reason is, but I want you to hear me say today that God has always been waiting with arms wide open saying, welcome home, my child. He's your friend. If that's you today for the very first time or maybe your recommitment, well, no one's looking around. I'm just gonna ask him to count to three. I'm just gonna ask you to slip your hand up and say, include me in that prayer today, Brian. If that's you, one, two, three. Put your hands up. Awesome, I see that hand. I see that hand. Awesome, you can put your hands down. 
We're gonna pray out loud. I'm gonna ask everyone to repeat after me so that no one has to pray alone, okay? You ready? Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey friends, can we cheer for those who made a decision to come to Christ today? Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.